0: Welcome to the Creation Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth King. Together, we'll have conversations with incredible human beings who have taken their creative outlet and turned it into something innovative. From people leaving the corporate world to be eight-figure entrepreneurs, to people who have created books, created a family, or just creating to have fun in the world. We are all in a journey to create something amazing in our lives, and I hope that you find some inspiration of your own here. This is the Creation Innovation Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Creation Innovation Podcast. I'm really excited today to speak with Anna David. Welcome, Anna. Thank you for having me. I'm just going to give a brief overview of her very impressive bio. She is a eight-times New York-selling Beth author and a founder of the Legacy Launchpad Publishing. She has been featured and written for the New York Times, LA Times, Huffington Post, literally you name it, and she's been on it or featured, so I won't get into all of it. Her first novel, Party Girl, is in development as a feature film to be shot in 2023, and she hosts a hit publishing podcast that features interviews with authors such as Robert Greene and Chris Voss. Welcome. Again, I would love to get into that deeper at a later point, but it's so extensive. I mean, where haven't you been really, Anna? Well, I will
1: say when you wait this long to have a kid, you've got lots of time to do other things. When everyone else was having their children in their 30s and 40s, you were, you know, off hustling. So that's
0: a lot of it. I understand that. I had my first at 41, last at 44. So I feel you. And part of where I want to have our conversation go is what you just spoke about. So tell us about your new endeavor. You have a two and a half month old.
1: I have a two and a half month old. And he. I know that everybody thinks they have the most beautiful child on earth. So it's very weird to actually have the most beautiful child on earth. I have moms who say he's cuter than mine. I swear to God. Um, So we got just a really good kid. He's so well behaved. Um, He's so beautiful. And yeah, I mean, I kind of knew it. My boyfriend is the the most easygoing person alive. And I just was like, it's going to be like him. I know it.
0: And so for any of those who are kind of coming to this not knowing, Anna has just had her first baby at what age? 53. 53. 53, via surrogate. Yep. Yes. And how did you come to, at that age, or any <laughs> age for that matter, but this age specifically, decide, you know what, I think it's time to go down this path. I mean, I feel like my first initial thought when I hear that is, quote a copy, right? Like, that was my first person of knowing, like, okay, she didn't do surrogacy, but becoming a mom later in life. And I feel like that also is becoming... I wouldn't say the norm now, but it's coming, becoming more widely recognized. So when was it the turning point
1: for you? It's really interesting that she said Hoda, because when you're in your late forties and early fifties and you want it, you cling to those stories like you wouldn't believe. So it's, uh, I can recite them very easily. Janet Jackson, Hoda, um, Bridget Nielsen and you know, you sort of see them and you go, Oh my God, this is still possible. This is still possible. And, um, And right now, it's funny because at the moment that I did it, the same month, Chrissy Teigen had a uh, baby via surrogate. Naomi Campbell, who is exactly my age, uh, did it. And and then I became so obsessed with it that I actually put a Google alert. And it was just every day there was a new sort of well-known person doing it. For me, it actually wasn't getting to this age and deciding to do it. It was wanting to do it my whole life and fearing that I couldn't because I didn't want to do it on my own. And, um, and I didn't care how it happened. I was just determined to make it happen. And part of it was, you know, I sort of would wake up at 36 and go, what just happened? How did this happen? Wake up at 46 and go, wait, I forgot to have my baby. Um, But also I was living in LA and New York where Obviously, uh, there's a lot more single people, possibly a lot more like mess up people, so that finding a partner can be harder than it is in other places. And, and so once you found about. that
0: partner where you're like, hey, this is what I want to do. Are you on board with that? How did that conversation go?
1: It's interesting because, um, you know, like I have a memory, like a steel trap for, for, th- for emotional things, no memory for numbers and all of that. But I was telling him, I was like, do you remember how we were driving to Costco? And I was making that left turn. And I said, have you ever, uh, how do you feel about this? And he's like, "Uh, no. (laughs) Um, I was really scared. He happened. He's such a unicorn. Also my age, no kids, no ex-wife. Wanted is extreme, was open to the idea of having a kid. Okay. I, I, I don't know where else you find one of those. I just happened to. And I remember being so nervous to bring it up. And he just goes like, yeah, I'm open to it. I kind of thought it wouldn't happen, but yeah. And,
0: um, and we began the process shortly after. And was it easier or more difficult than you expected it to be? So much easier.
1: Really? So much easier. Um, I will say the process, cause I froze my eggs at 46, which I know is extremely late. Um, I sort of, you know, delusional. I'm like, oh, I don't age, but I, I also don't <laughs> in typical ways. Um, they were able to, you know, get lots Amazing. of eggs and, um, and my hormones are still good. I still get my period, all that stuff. Um, that I found quite traumatic is, is extreme, but I found it very challenging that part. To doing um, the
0: retrieval and going through that process.
1: I found it very emotional. Um, I felt a lot of judgment because I was doing it at that age. I uh, had gone to a fertility doctor who had no bedside manner
0: and basically was like, you don't stand a chance. And so well, I went most to- Most says won't even do it at that age.
1: I did, Well, so I didn't, again, delusional, you know, I, I, I you know, <laughs> if I, I don't get the facts. I just make them up and then I just hope right. for the best. So right. then I, I found another place and, um, and we went ahead and did it. And, um, he really encouraged me to do embryos. Um, mm-hmm. he also encouraged me to do another retrieval. And um, I looked at the sperm banks, and I just couldn't. You know, I'm a writing snob, and really, what killed me on the sperm banks was they have to write essays, and all the essays were horrible. And I, oh, you know, no. they, they were like doctors, lawyers, like brilliant men. I'm sure with you know, but I'm just like, oh no, I could not take the sperm of a man who cannot write. <laughs> and so, and, but but really, you have I a high just, bar, Anna. I do. I mean, that's how you. I guess you stay single a long time. But but I but I really just. I knew I wanted to do it with a partner and I didn't want to do it with some other man's stuff. Right. Um, So, so then um, I would say the surrogate process was just a million times easier than I ever would have expected.
0: So you were able to fertilize your eggs with your your boyfriend's sperm and everything yep. worked out that way. Yep. Great. Right? Yep. And I think the reason that I want to point that out is because sometimes, and why your doctor probably recommended to do embryos is sometimes those the the additional process with the thawing of the eggs, the fertilizing with them, with the sperm, et cetera, is an additional step than rather just freezing and thawing an embryo. So you got Very fortunate and lucky on that, which I'm so happy to hear. It does happen. I think Anna is a great example of it is possible. So if you feel that conviction of that doesn't feel right for me to be doing a a sperm donor, follow that intuition, you know, and, and don't be convinced of something that is not for you. But then, so now you have your embryos. How many embryos did you actually have? Two. Okay. So
1: we had two and I just was like, Oh God, oh God. And he would just point out, it only takes one, only takes one. And, um, you know, you hear a lot about surrogacy, how there are just... You know there are more parents than surrogates. It takes forever, and we signed up with an agency. We did end up switching fertility doctors because although he was wonderful and he got my retrieved my eggs and was a wonderful guy during COVID, their practice just fell apart. And and you'd call; it was so disorganized, and literally you'd feel like you'd won the lottery if they actually called you back. And we just thought this is not this is, you know, it's expensive. What are we doing? And we got a recommendation for another fertility doctor. And actually he shares a practice with the one who left me in tears, because it's one thing to say, I won't take your, I won't do a retrieval, but she was awful. I mean, I left hysterically crying because she oh, was like, it's, it's hopeless. And she was wrong. She's a, the one she appears on all these reality TVs, like helping real housewives g- get babies. So she had different priorities. Have you sent her this... a picture
0: with you and your baby?
1: No, no. <laughs> but like, you know, it's ironic that, that this Dr. Ringler, Dr. Guy Ringler is the doctor who was able to do this for us. And he was just, he was so, he's very serious and we just felt he was going to make it happen. And then finding our surrogate was the real miracle because she, uh, you know, we found this agency and they said, well, the the wait should, you know, be long. Literally the next day they said, somebody just signed up. Um, Do you want to meet her? We met her and she was so perfect that when we hung up the Zoom, I said to Jim, I think we need to meet someone else because it's like thinking you met your husband on your first date ever. There's no way. And so we reached out and we said that and they kind of went, well, you could be waiting a really long
0: time. We don't recommend that. And so we went with her. Amazing. And so was she local to where you guys are or was she away and how? No, she's
1: in Georgia. And so she flew out. We met her. Um, and she came out again to, uh, the, the actual challenging part was the period between signing with her and the birth, because it got delayed over and over again for the silliest reasons. It was like her husband, uh, worked overseas for three months a year. They did, they have to do, uh, STD tests on the husband, which like hadn't occurred to me, but they did. Um, but they did the wrong test, or they forgot a test, so that was delayed three months. Wow! Um, then she, when she got the contracts, she wanted him there to sign them with her, and that was delayed another two months. So literally, we almost lost a year towards wow. delays that shouldn't have happened.
0: Right. But
1: we figured, well, that was our delay. It was supposed to be a delay in getting the surrogate. We found her right away, right. and um, and she just came out. Uh, uh, it was Halloween, and she got the embryo put in and the, i would say the confusing part was when do we get excited about this because mm. i was very scared to invest emotionally
0: right and
1: and it wasn't until we got an email that said congratulations on your viability and we had to google that that we realized oh my god this is really real
0: it is it's an interesting thing that you point out because it is such a roller coaster and it is very different than Kind of your standard pregnancy, right? You get the positive pregnancy test, and you think everything's great. I think we, those who have been through this fertility world, know so much, right? Know, okay, do we? Is you need to find out is the sac in the right place first, and then is there a heartbeat, and then do we get to this point and that point? And I think there's an aspect of that with a surrogate that probably feels a little bit more comforting than normal, I would imagine. But even still. You know a lot, right? So you know that it's not, you're not just taking it for granted, like pregnant, done, everything's fine, I, I would think.
1: And 100%. so how did the rest of
0: that time go for you guys being away, right? Because that I would think would be difficult to, to be, were you on Zoom during doctor's appointments? Like walk us through that process. Well, what really
1: helps is denial because I <laughs> pretended it wasn't happening because okay. I was too scared to get invested. And and in many ways, it was less stressful. She's this young girl. She's 32. And during our Zoom, the one thing I remember about our first Zoom is she, she has two kids. She goes, they snack on vegetables. And I was I said to myself, a woman who says my kids snack on vegetables eats a lot better than I do. God bless so, her. So we don't worry about that. And, and, um, you know, we were sort of proud of the fact that we were so hands-off because we Mm. heard about, you know, keto only diet and, and all of this stuff. And, um, and so we, so I had a lot more comfort in that she's so young and that she'd had two very successful pregnancies. Um, but it was very easy to tune out that it was happening.
0: Okay. So was it, you know, 40 weeks later, surprise here's a baby on your doorstep? Or how does that how 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 involved are you through the process of the pregnancy? What's funny is she was so much more proactive in involving
1: us than we were. So okay. she, and also I, I think the agency doesn't know how the relationship is going to be. I swear to God, they never could have expected such a cool, mellow woman because she and I just texted from the beginning. So anytime she was going, oh, I'm going to the doctor. Um, and then she'd send me the sonogram uh-huh. um, and then the agency would say Had a successful sonogram. I'm like, oh yeah, old news. I knew, Um, and and so then it started to get. um, We started to realize it was really happening. She lives in Georgia, and so we went out there for an appointment and to check out. So the due date was July seventh, and so we decided to get an Airbnb from July first to the thirtieth. So we went there and had lunch. We had never met her husband before. The four of us had lunch. And, um, you know, they're just so cool. They're like, oh, do you want to come over for 4th of July? (laughs) And we are like, oh, yeah, we can hang out when we get here. And
0: so then uh, we came home and we went back July 1st. We camped out. That is so cool. And so now once the birth happens, how – tell us – how about that? I mean, that must be strange for her as well, right? I mean, were you ever concerned from that perspective of – how does this all play out? Yeah, I mean, what-
1: yes. I mean, in that in that you I also denial avoided reading all those stories because I knew they existed. And since his birth, I have read a lot of them. Um so Again, I can't, I cannot explain how cool she is. So we get there, we go over there for 4th of July. Her dad lives with them. He's like a super young dad. And he goes, you want to play pickleball? So then we're like playing pickleball with her dad and just hanging out. And, um, and she meeting her kids and all of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, and so then this is how Melody so she, we have the car gassed up, we have our stuff packed, you know, Jim has all everything. He's so panicked about it, and the way the birth happened is, oh my god, this is so embarrassing. We had a doc. She had a doctor's appointment. She had a checkup that morning, Monday the tenth, and we forgot. So she (laughs) texts us. She goes, "Hey, I'm at the doctor. Where are you?" And we're like, "Oh my god, oh my god," because it was about twenty minutes away. She goes, "Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it." She goes you know, the, 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 the gynecologist we like is working today. So hopefully it'll be today because we want her. And right. then about four o'clock that day, she texts, she goes, you know, I think we should go. Do you want to go? And that was our experience going for her. And she delivered like, I guess, uh, four hours later.
0: Amazing. No epidural. She's broke. Yeah. No C-section, no epidural. Good for her. And then how long did you guys stay in town before you went home?
1: Well, I would have gotten on a plane the next day because I just was ready to go home. My boyfriend, it's kind of like he's got two kids. Like he's dad and he decides all, he's the one who's very strict about everything. He would not fly. Um, Technically, you have to get approval, you know, from the pediatrician. But of course, you can't have a pediatrician until you have a baby. So we Mm -hmm. then, we waited, you know, three days. And they said, look, we got people that get on a plane the next day. But Jim said we had to wait three weeks. So we did.
0: Okay. And was it, I know for me having a baby over 41, all of my, I didn't have any friends who had kids. So I didn't know. And I was busy working up until then. I wasn't Googling all the things about motherhood and whatnot. How was that for you? Was it, did you know what you were getting into? Were you like, what is happening right now? What did that look like? Okay. You'll lose all respect for me if I tell you this. I looked up (laughs) nothing. Jim
1: watched every YouTube video, had everything down. When we were at the hospital, um, we, I was kind of trying to fake it for the, I'm an experiential learner. I can't watch a video. I can't learn anything until I'm doing it. So literally I'm trying to put the bottle together and he's like, you know, that's a pacifier. You're putting a pacifier on top. And he's, you know, whispering in front of the nurse so as not to embarrass me. Um, I he had to explain to me. He's like, you realize they don't eat food for for the first meal. I was like, they don't eat baby food. I knew absolutely nothing. And again, I really do think it goes back to I was too scared to get invested until it was yes. real. Um, but so, yeah, oh, and in terms of her and being concerned about her attachment, um, you know, she came over a couple of days later. And I said, like, is this so weird? Does it feel like it came out of you? She goes,
0: it's just like seeing any baby. Wow. Yeah. It's such a concept that I can't even get my head around, you know? I know. Uh, And I think the people that are called to do that is so amazing and incredible. And I think they, for them, it's not really a thing and they, pregnancy is easy for them and there's a reason that they're called to it. And I think what an amazing world we live in, that there are people and that we have the ability to do this. It like blows my mind every day to know that we can have egg donation and embryo adoption and surrogacy and all these different ways to parenthood that we wouldn't have been able to have previously. So Again, congratulations
1: on- Well, oh, and then this is the other thing. Four pregnant friends at the same time. At my age, it makes no sense. So what? I have a, I know, I have a friend who got a donor embryo, total donor at everything, single, okay. 49, delivered Caring a herself. month. Caring herself. herself, delivered a month before. Uh-huh. Uh, another friend, a guy our age, but he has a younger wife, they delivered pretty much the same week. Um, this sounds kind of silly, but my esthetician, who I've been going to for 20 years, and we all we would talk about is she did my facials. I want to be a mom. I want to be a mom, and she was, you know, I'm going to do this in Russia, and I'm going to try this. I mean, I I reached out to get a facial shortly after I got home. They're like, oh, she doesn't work here anymore. And I texted her, and she goes, I just had my baby, and I'm like, you did too. Um, uh-huh. so it's really everywhere. And my friend who did the donor embryo has actually put together a mother's group of you know 14 women, basically our age.
0: That's amazing. Did it ever occur to you about doing motherhood at an older age?
1: Well, yes. Like, were you
0: ever hesitant about that?
1: Um, Absolutely. I mean, I think also thinking about um, having just one and the burden of having to care for older parents. Um, I have friends who are, I have a friend right now um, who's an only child and she's caring for her elderly mom, and it's horrible. Um, so that was what I think I was really scared of. Um, and my therapist, I remember talking to her about this and she goes, look, uh, my boyfriend, or, yeah, I guess it was her boyfriend then, um, is single, is an only child and he takes care of his parents and they're a completely healthy family, like emotionally healthy. Yeah. So it's not a big deal. Um, so oh, I definitely had concerns. Um, I think one of the things about this age is you've just let go of the judgment. So it's like, oh, if people think we're the old people at pick up, I don't really care. Um, right. But yeah. And I think you'll um, find
0: too that you're actually, at least where we live, right? I'm in Orange County. You're East Coast, I believe, right?
1: No, if I'm in LA.
0: Oh, you are in LA. Oh, gosh. Okay. So, you know, it is... East Coast, West Coast, they're more our age, ironically, versus I feel like kind of in the middle, it's this younger generation. But I'm always surprised at school and whatever now that my kids might have a first grader, a kindergartner, and a preschooler that I don't actually... I mean, yes, I'm older and in some cases could be their mom, but for the most part, it's not this big delta that i initially had thought it would like oh your grandparents picking you up from school today you know or yeah. your grandma and grandpa at the soccer game because it did occur to me that that's the case but the time that we live in now like it really isn't that so much anymore and i someone asked me a few weeks ago what is it like being an older mom and i'm like i don't know any different yeah. right like I don't know. I think being a mom is hard at any age and so for me it was just a matter of this is when it happened for me and I it is what it is. It's not easy, but you know, I I I knew this is what we wanted for our life and so you just do it. I don't know. I always feel like it's kind of a strange question because we don't know any different, right? I think
1: yeah. as you were
0: saying, it's really about the the projection of the future of what that feels like for our kids, but we, ought, we do have the ability to live longer and take care of our bodies in a better way than previously. And so we can make those decisions based on how do we stay around longer and healthier for our, our little guys, you know?
1: Yeah. And also I come from serious trauma and my family, they were a different generation, but you know, having kids in their twenties, all they were going to do was pass it along So I think one of the great tragedies is a lot of people come from trauma. And if they have kids when they're biologically supposed to, um, they're going to pass it along. So I had the luxury of, you know, 30 years of therapy and 12 step and all of these things that um, make it, I'm sure I'll mess up a lot of things, but I'm not going to do to my kid what my parents did to me
0: which is saying so much because I feel like we are starting to ra- raise these more consciously aware children,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Because we
0: know better, we can do better for them. And then it's just changing the DNA of our future children to come and their their children for that mm-hmm. matter, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the other side of your life, your other babies, other than your fur baby, but these amazing books and your business. And I know there's a lot of people that listen that want to write their own books, me included, that are going through the process now, but how did that all come about? And, um, obviously writing is a very important part of your existence. Hence the fact that you eliminated sperm donors based on their writing essay. (laughs) So how does, how does, tell us about all of that.
1: Well, so I have always been a writer. I majored in creative writing in college. It's it's really the only job I've ever had. Unfortunately, it kind of became a very impractical. It's always an impractical job, but it became very impractical in the mid 2000s. So I had graduated in college. I worked at magazines. Um, I, I wrote I wrote a book, and I had you know because I was you know writing for magazines and being well known as a journalist back then was sort of the equivalent of going viral at the time. We were the influencers. Agents knew who we were, so I was right. able to get an agent very easily, sell a book very easily. Um, unfortunately, it didn't go so well after that. The you know, publishing—you uh, don't even want to hear me rail against uh, traditional publishing, but it's—it's it's the craziest business and. The, um, I mean, the short story is it, I was part of Regan Books, which was the, Judith Regan was the biggest publisher in the world, and she was part. She had a division at HarperCollins. Selling to her was just a dream come true. All her books were just huge, and then she basically got in a fight with Rupert Murdoch, and that that division dissolved in a day. And it was four months before my book was coming out. Wow. And so this book that had tons of buzz, movie rights, you know, bidding wars was suddenly, th- in. a back then bookstores mattered a lot. And so there was, it was in no bookstores. It was all a disaster. And Harper the, Collins felt badly for me. And it's sort of like they kept throwing me book deals. So I did do six mm-hmm. books in six years, but my my advances got so small. I wasn't earning out my advances. It was all a disaster. And at the same time, I went from like writing for magazines and getting $2 a word to, oh, do you want to write? It's free. Or you know what? You can pay us and, and write for us. It all just went away. Wow. And um, I tried really hard to make it work. I tried all these businesses, I tried online courses, I tried websites. And then I very much accidentally stumbled into publishing books for entrepreneurs. And so in 2017, set up this company. Literally people came, kept coming to me. So one of the books I wrote was a New York Times bestseller, not all of them, alas. One. And it was one that I wrote for someone. So a lot of people, but my name's on the cover, a lot of people came to me and said, Will you write my book? Will you write and I always said no. And then somebody who was very insistent, I said, well, I could hire someone else and I'll edit it. And that's how I became a publisher. And we'd never advertise and We've released um, a, about 52 books over these last five years, and wow. and um, it, it, my clients are the ones who taught me what was possible. See, I when I've published Party Girl, I started to go on the Today Show and Fox News and all these places talking about addiction and recovery. It didn't do anything for me because I still couldn't pay my rent. So it's not like you get paid to go on TV. And so I didn't understand like what, what books do is they make you an authority that it's never going to be book sales. I mean, for most of us. And so my clients started coming to me and they were like, they knew all about accounting or franchising or, uh, money or whatever it is. And we would write and we write and publish their books. And, um, you know, they become the authorities and they're speaking and they're doing TEDx and they're
0: able to charge
1: more and they're filling their programs. And so that's what we do.
0: And it sounds like that was the only option for you to stay in that field. Am I correct in saying that? Because it- Yeah. And I I love that because being a fertility coach myself, knowing that this is my calling, and for you, it sounds like writing is your calling and anything around that- How does that shift how you show up in the world knowing that you're doing kind of what you're in alignment with?
1: That's a great question. I mean, in a way, I I have always felt like that. It was that the business let me down. Um, I don't know how to do anything else but something I'm passionate. If I'm not passionate about it, I'm super depressed and I can't handle it. Which it's hard
0: to do when the business is letting you down, right? Because like you said, you need to pay your rent. So how do you stay the path when what you're you're meant to be doing is not sustaining your life, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, I, I do a new keynote. That's all about goal setting. So I've been really in this. What, what I believe is that I was so determined to make it work the way I wanted to, which was I was going to have Harper Collins release a book that was going to become a huge bestseller. I was going to become famous or whatever the hell it was. And I tried banging my head against the wall for 10 years trying to make that work. Well, people are coming to me and going, hey, will you write my book? And I'm like, no, 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 go away. That's not my dream. That's not my dream finally, because I'm really stubborn, I surrender to what is actually happening. And the opportunities are so much bigger than my limited brain could come up with. So if anybody who's listening is like, this is my calling and it's not working. I'm not paying the bills. I absolutely encourage anyone. It sounds really woo, but it's like, um, What is the universe telling you? And what are you, because here's the thing, when I put out there, oh my God, I need this book to be hugely successful and I need to make whatever, inherent in that fear, inherent in that wish is a fear it won't happen. Because like, what happens if I don't get it? And I believe that's literally praying for what we don't want. The universe does not know the difference between a hope and a fear, and it just feels that
0: and it delivers more of what you don't want. Um, So that's what I think. Agree a thousand percent. And I think that from the perspective of writing, there's so many entrepreneurs that have these ideas and have a story to tell, but we're not writers, right? Mm -hmm. And so there is such a need for people to help us through the process. And it's such a big market, I feel like, because there are so many stories to tell. And it is such a beautiful art form for the people that really do know how to write. It's like learning an instrument that not everybody knows how to do, but we want to communicate it to some somebody or the world or just one person even. And we need to rely on those people like yourself that can say, okay, here it is and i can help you through that process. so i'm glad that you were able to get to that point to to see that that opportunity was there because there's so so many people that need that that service and mm-hmm. the publishing to kind of push it out there. i'm so glad you said that too because a lot of people don't think that. they think cuz
1: they've read books they know how to write them. it's the it's the one thing Everybody you know, I don't go running into a hospital and try to operate, but every day I meet people who've no experience with writing who who think that they can do it, and they may be really inherently talented, but if they don't do it every day, all day and haven't for twenty years, it's not gonna be
0: professional. Right. Well, I is there I would imagine too that there's a difference between writing and journaling versus writing a book that is going to be out there and the nuances that need to be met and, you know, put in place that will make sense for that. And, you know, you need to rely on somebody who's an expert in that to, to help you through that process. That's what I think. Yes. So tell us about this, the feature film around your book. That must've been pretty exciting. Did you, how did that all come about?
1: Well, and that's kind of exactly part of this, um, you know, this this idea about working with the universe. So when the book first came out, it got a ton of press. So there was big bidding war, and this was two thousand seven. And I just said, okay, what looks like the most likely to happen? Who's paying me the most? And so I went with Sony. And they got, um, they said, who do you want to write the script? And I'm a Gen Xer. So I was like, the woman who wrote Reality Bites. Who else is there? And so they go, and then that's literally the last I hear. I cash the check. This is, they've been wooing me and whining and dining me. And then I never hear anything. And I reach out. I don't hear anything back. And then one day I get an email from CAA that says, congratulations, your rights have reverted back to you. And I wrote them. I said, what does that mean? Never heard back. Because this is Hollywood. You're close enough to know this is CAA how it works. is
0: a, a, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, agency in LA. If anybody isn't aware of that, so getting that call or email from them is well. So it was great to get
1: signed by them back when there was all this hype about the book, and then they basically said they didn't. They don't say it like that. Like we're dropping you as a client. This movie isn't happening. And so every few years, somebody it's would read the book and reach out to me, and and hey, let's make it into a movie, and
0: and and none of it happened. And, um, and were you out actively pitching the book as a movie or how did, how does that work? You know, I was at William
1: Morris for a while, which is another big agency. And, um, and so they were sort of pitching it, but not really people. uh, The book is a very sort of movie cinematic story. So people who read it, who worked in the business, saw that, saw the potential, um, so what actually happened is that I always thought at one point Melanie Griffith and Antonio Banderas, when they were married, she read it. She wanted to make it. I met with them, and she said, "I want you to write the script." And I was like, "I don't know how to write a script." And I tried, but I really didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't very good. And um, oh, so so one thing about the um, reality bites woman. So so years after that whole thing with CAA telling me I got the rights back, I wrote this story because I was still writing for online publications and. Um, I write. I wrote about like, you know, sometimes dreams come true. I got the woman who wrote the reality bites to write the script, but I never even found out if that was true because I never heard from these people again. You know, sometimes reality really bites. She must have a Google alert for reality oh, bites. Right. She writes me. So this is, Seven years later, and she goes, Did you really never see the script? And I'm like, You really wrote the script? And she goes, Here it is. And so she wow. sends me this screenplay. So it's my w- woman who wrote my favorite movie of all time, doing a script based on the, the book I wrote that's based on my life from 12 years earlier. It was all so surreal. So, but Sony owns that. So that was so that's why we couldn't do anything with that. And, um, and so then during the pandemic, my boyfriend's a screenwriter and he. Really, I can write. I mean, as evidence for the fact that I've been writing forever. But I didn't know how to structure a screenplay because it's a very specific structure. And he just goes, well, you could do start with this and do this and this. And as soon as he said it, I knew exactly what to do. And um, people liked the script. And um, the the crazy full circle part is that I optioned it to to a producer I knew. He ended up becoming business partners with one of my closest friends from college who I had lost touch with. Who's also sober, so he's practically a character in the book because the book is all about crazy party life. So, so this guy Bobby Daly is making the movie. I mean, it's so full circle and beautiful, and it's because I really let go of the results. It is, you know, I my hope and dream in two thousand seven was it would be a lifetime movie starring Lindsay Lohan because that's what they told me it was going to be. Now it's going to be a movie I wrote. I'm a producer on produced by one of my closest friends from, you know, 30 years ago. So it's really incredible. Amazing. So when can we expect this? Okay. It's still Hollywood, even though it's all happening. So, um, you know, they have the money, which is really all that matters. You know, we know it will be made. We do not know when, but we know that there's the money for it. So I push them every day, sort of. um,
0: And it'll happen. We just don't know when. Well, we are really excited to for when that does happen, and in the meantime, can read the book. Yes, you can read yeah. the book. If anybody listening, however, is interested in, in writing
1: an authority-building book, if they're not interested in reading a novel about addiction recovery, um, I have a, my, my most recent book is called On Good Authority, um, and it's all about writing your authority-building book. And then I started to write a book about late-stage motherhood, which is how I reached out to you. Right. And then I just—I don't know. I started to go. I'm too early into this. I
0: don't really know what I want to say, and so I've put it on hold. Yeah, I—I I can feel that in in lots of ways, right? We don't know what we don't know until you're further into it a bit, and. Again, I think it's just a, an ongoing evolution of a process of trying to navigate what, what we're doing and how we're doing it, right? And yep. the big takeaway that I would say from my perspective and talking to you is you might think that your age can affect what you want to do, but really it doesn't have to. And that's what I say every day from the fertility perspective is, we have these societal evidence to know that it is possible. You know, all these things are possible. And if you have that intuition or that burning in your heart or your gut that you want to do this, follow Anna, reach out to Anna. There are so many people that are are doing this and making this choice. And it's a bold choice to do. And you have to tune out everything else, right? Because You know, our world that we live in tells us lots of messaging that they want us to know, and you just have to put the blinders on and stay true to the end goal. A hundred percent, because we don't know where that messaging is coming from.
1: You know, I think a lot of uh, maybe this this may not be fair, but but women who had kids early and didn't feel like they got a shot at their career, they don't really want
0: to hear that it's possible to have it all. Right, right. Yeah. And everything happens in divine timing for everyone, right? And I think that's where we just have to let go of the judgment of whenever you had children. And yeah, would it have been nice to have kids in their early 20s and now being getting on your retirement and having your kids join you somewhere on vacation? Probably, but that's not what the world had for me, right? So- I'm dealing with diapers still and all the things because that's what it was. So I think that no matter where you fall in the spectrum of life and children, it's all in the divine timing for you but keeping that that goal for yourself that it's possible and that it's not too late and looking into the different options because there are so many options now and that's mm-hmm. what we were speaking of earlier that you know that is the incredible world that we live in to to know that it's there's so much that we have at our fingertips to help to build your family and it might not seem what you traditionally thought it would when you were in your 20s but you can still have that little one that you're that you're loving on and i am so excited for you guys to to have that experience
1: and it might be better than the vision you had in your 20s mine certainly is totally
0: and also bringing this awareness to the world, right? Like you have mm-hmm. such an amazing incredible platform to to show people what is possible. And I think that's a big part of this whole fertility world is letting the the voice be heard about this awareness of what the options are and that you're not alone on this path and you you have people that are there to support you and help you and figure out what those next steps are and and all the things. So um, yes, I do believe it can be more more beautiful than you ever expected at, at whatever age it happens for you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being here. How can people find you whether they're wanting to write a book or have some questions around these big decisions of parenthood?
1: Probably the best way to reach me directly is through Instagram. Just I'm at Anna B. David. Um, because otherwise you can just, you can go to Legacy Launchpad Pub and and get information about writing an authority building book. But
0: questions about this, it's not like I have anything professional. So just reach out directly. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. We'll let you get back to your little guy and we will be in touch soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creation Innovation Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify for free episodes and subscribe to the creation innovation podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to get your podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Yes, we actually do send out gifts. It's my favorite thing to do. So visit us at elizabethking.com backslash for more information on how to enter. Every review counts and we are so grateful. You can follow me at the official Elizabeth King on Instagram or TikTok. Until next time.